I was questioning this sermon that I'm going to preach this morning, whether I should or I shouldn't. So I am. Isn't life wonderful? God has seen fit to bless your life with all kinds of interesting things. Some things are good. And then you have some of the others sprinkled throughout. But it's kind of like eating some, you know, two or three eggs, sunny side up. It's good to have some salt and pepper on it. Gives it some taste. Otherwise, it's just bland. Your life would be the same way if you didn't know how to turn on a microphone. It's a good thing I can read sign language. Am I on now? Can you hear me all right? Do I have to start all over again? I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians in chapter 3. There's a verse there that I want to share with you that's talking about when the Apostle Paul began his ministry and goes all the way back to when he was only eight days old. You know, what Jesus it talks about when he was born, and um, even talks about Jeremiah when he was born. So you're talking about when you learn how to give your testimony. It means being able to pick out parts of your life story and put it together where it makes for an interesting, exciting life. Now, when you spread it out over a long period of time, and at the time, it's not exciting. But you take out the key parts, put it all together, and condense it down, it sure makes it a very interesting story to tell. And everybody has an exciting life to tell, because it's yours. You see, your life isn't somebody else's. Yours is its own individuality. And the thing that's so neat is our testimonies are so important. That's why God uses so many different kinds of people with different backgrounds and different experiences because of what it takes to reach different people. Some people can't reach some people. It doesn't matter what you do, you just can't break through. There's like a barrier, a wall, and somebody else can come along and say the same thing you said, and boom, they accept it. Especially your kids. And you just hope somebody else will come along and tell your kids the same thing you told them, but they'll listen to somebody else. And then you'll tell your kids, you know, I told you that. You never told me that. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. You can start an argument over anything. So here in Philippians, it gets all the way back to when he was just a little child. See there in verse 4? In verse 4 of Philippians in chapter 3 says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day. Now that's going back pretty far in your lifetime, isn't it? I was only eight days old when I was circumcised. Like, who cares? I mean, big deal. So you were circumcised when you were eight, year, eight days old. But it's because of who he was. You see, he was of the nation of Israel. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was somebody. And so all of this is important, especially if you're Jewish. And look who I am and look what I've done. And he says, all of this, he says, uh, I'm not impressed with it. See there in verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, and blah, 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 blah. And he says, all those things that were of value, he says, I counted them all but lost that I might have Christ. 
In other words, Christ is more important than all those things that I've done or whoever I am. Christ is more important. Now, when you give a testimony, there's nothing wrong in giving part of your testimony about where did you come from? Where, where, where were you born? Oh, what was your parents like? You see, there's parts of our lives and stories that it doesn't hurt to tell and to share with people. You see, you need to be able to pick out parts of it. As you read the book of Acts, you'll find out the Apostle Paul told his testimony three different times, and that's just what's recorded in one book. Who knows how many times he shared, hey, let me, let me tell you what happened to me on the road to Damascus. There I was, and in this light, and knocked me down on my knees. And then he may not tell exactly the same thing every time, but he got the story. And as you read, you'll find out that there's different parts in each one of those experiences that he tells that was not exactly in the other one. Because it all depends on what people need. And sometimes you'll say this part, and then you'll say this part, and then you add a little bit to this. And it looks like maybe you contradicted yourself, but no, it's just that one is bringing out something that the other didn't bring out. Now take your Bible and turn there to, with me to the book of Galatians in chapter 1. Galatians in chapter 1. See, the Apostle Paul at another time refers to another period in his life. And he tells us some stuff that, well, you say, well, I, that, I didn't think that would be very important. But he was a religious man. So when you give your testimony, you always tell him what you thought, what you found out, what you did. Well, this is what he used to think. This is what he used to believe. And every one of you in here, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you know you have eternal life. There had to be a time when you, you didn't believe it. Well, what was it like? What did you believe? Say, I don't know. And you say, I, I, I didn't believe there was a God. What did say? I didn't believe there was a God. Or I, I thought I had to be good to go to heaven. Well, say, I thought I had to be good to go to heaven. You see, but, but it's whatever is true. It's whatever's your life. God wants to use you. Not just at this moment. He wants to use all of you. All of your stories. Everything that you have. That of which is a value. You see, God has brought you through a lot. God has taught you a lot. When we wanted to start to Reformers Unanimous, I was looking for somebody that had been there. James has been there. So it was his life, it's his stories that he has. It's what he has lived that makes him valuable and important. And he can do a better job. So it's not something we run from. It's what we have to be able to pick and choose what would be helpful. And you can be greatly used by God if you'll let God use you. Now, I know there are probably some things in our past we just love to keep it quiet. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about glorifying sin. I'm talking about those lessons that you've learned. Surely you've learned something over these years that God can use for His honor and for His glory. And those are things that you can share with somebody. So here in the book of Galatians, and look in verse 13. He says, For ye have heard of my behavior, my manner of life, my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. So he's going back to when, before he trusts the Lord. He's talking about the way he was. He's talking about what he believed, how he lived. And so he says, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, been more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my father. This is what I was like. And he tells it. 
And it was a bad thing. He says, I persecuted the church. If you look down there in verse 23 where he says, this man is now preaching the faith which once he destroyed. So you see, you don't always have that perfect life. It's how God might be able to use your life and the things that God has brought you for. Did you know uh, me and Betty? Well, I already didn't fell in love with her. And I'd already done poured on my charm. It was irresistible charm. It's not her fault. She could not resist. I mean, I just totally overwhelmed her. But anyway, she came to me one day and she says, Yankee, she says, uh, you want to go down to the Dairy Queen and get an ice cream? I said, uh-huh. Well, I asked my mom and I says, can I, can I use the car? I was 17. And uh, she says, Yankee, be careful with the car. It was like, it was immaculate. It was a 56 Ford pink and black crown Victoria when it had the crown going across the top of it. Beautiful thing. And they had just got it. And so I says, I will be careful. So I wasn't about to go off to the Dairy Queen with just Betty. So I asked my friend, Wheeler, and my sister Kay. So anyway, the two boys in the front seat, two girls in the back seat, and we go to the Dairy Queen. I'm very careful. This mama's little pride and joy. So we pulled into the Dairy Queen, and I opened the door, and I got out, and I said, what would y'all like? They couldn't make up their mind. I said, well, if you can't make up your mind, I might as well get back in and sit down. So I got in the car, and a taxi cab, man was driving a taxi cab. He was going 50 miles an hour, and he passed out at the wheel. Of all the places that he could have parked, <laughs> he comes across the two-lane, four-lane highway, and right into the Dairy Queen. He's out at the wheel, and he's going 50 miles an hour. And of all the places that he could have hit, he closed my door. He closed my door, and I had just got my head down caught some of my hair in the door, slammed me up against the thing, and I had a brain concussion, but it never, 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 never bothered me at all. <laughs> but it slammed the car, turned it upside down. And they had a picture of it in the paper. We got a picture of it years later. Somebody was there, and they took a picture of it. And this was in 1959. So the car's upside down, and we're all laying upside down. And how, we don't know how it happened, but I think... He wound up in the back seat, and then Betty wound up in the front seat. It got all messed up. But anyway, it was so close of me having an amputation. Have you ever thought you were going to lose your head over something? When I think about how close I came to being killed, it blows my mind. Another second, I'd have been dead. And I did not know the Lord. And I can see back as I look back over my life how God has so blessed and taken care of me. Now, I was at a time when I had a brace on my back when I was going to Bible school. And this brace had two metal rods in it, and I had to work for about two years. I'd hurt it on a job, and I couldn't hardly move. And so after a couple of years, I went to Colorado and got rid of that thing, and, and I was fine. But every once in a while, my back would catch. And when it catched, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't hardly walk. And I'd get up against the 
the hallway and I would make myself way down the hallway and I could barely move. And the kids would come by, hello, pastor, hello. And I'd just inch. I'd get in the office and I'd try to sit down and I couldn't move. And everybody kept telling me, you need to go to the chiropractor. So I went to about two or three of them. The first thing they do is they lay me on a thing and they want to turn me into a pretzel. And I says, I went to see one guy and I says, let me tell you something right now. If you try to twist me into a pretzel, I'm going to deck you. <laughs> I said, if I already tried that, don't do it. He laid me on that thing and he started to twist me. I said, don't you think about it. So anyway, I ain't been back to him anyway. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that back then, 45 years ago, I mean, they weren't the best. But anyway, I was in such pain, constant. I'd stand and teach my classes, and I would just hurt. I couldn't hardly stand it. And then I'd preach, and then I had all the ministries going on. And I kept wondering, Lord, why? Why? Why can't I just have a body that doesn't hurt? And uh, finally I went to one doctor. He says, in about 20 years... Those things are fused together and you'll be all right. 20 years. I'd already done gone through about 10 years. So I only got 10 years to go. So there was a lady in the church. I led her to the Lord, her husband and her sons, Mrs. Bartleson. And she came to me after church one night and she says, Pastor, I think this will help you. This is what I take when I have a pain pill. I need a pain pill. And it was a, she says, my muscles get tight sometimes, and this is a muscle relaxant. I didn't know what that was. So I said, well, thank you. She said, I'll give you two of them so you can have one later. I said, well, thank you. So I uh, went to the water fountain, and I got those two pills, and I took, I thought, if, if one will help, just think what two will do. <laughs> It'll really speed up the process. So what I did is, we went to a place called Coco's, and some of the people in the church would go down there, and they said, like we do down here at uh, Village Inn. So I'm sitting there, and Eddie, just a small kid then, and Betty's sitting across from me. And I don't know if Trina was there or not. I, I just don't remember. But anyway, I asked Betty. I'm looking at her, and I says, honey, I said, is the room moving? <laughs> she says, no, the room's not moving. I said, yeah, it is. I said, the room's moving. Is Yankee, the room is not moving. Something's going on. And all of a sudden, I fell over on Eddie. <laughs> We're in a restaurant, and he's a dignified little boy. I fell over on him. And he, Dad, Dad! And he pushes me back up. Now, if he'd have pushed me the other way too far, I would have went on the floor. <laughs> but he was just enough that I, I was sitting straight. I thought about that later. And all of a sudden, here I go again. I fell over on him. He says, Dad, stop it. Get up. So he pushed me back up. And I said, honey, I think you need to call the ambulance or something. So she calls 911. Anyway, she got the paramedics there, and they come in there, and the lights are flashing. I'm probably, and I hate to be you know, a scene like that, you know. There's people from the church and visitors and all like that there. And, and, I, and I couldn't move. I could not move. At least I didn't think I could. They walked in there, and first thing they said was, can you stand up? I said, sure I can. <laughs> oh, whoa. Boom. They caught me. <laughs> so they put me in the ambulance, and so Betty's going to follow behind, and I'm, I'm in the ambulance, and there, Eddie's got in the ambulance with me. Never forget, they're going to take me to, I think it was Luton Hospital. Anyway, on the way, I'm laying there on this little gurney or whatever you call that thing, and 
the uh, guy was working on me, and all of a sudden he says to the driver, he says, driver, you better pull over. We're losing him. I thought they're losing me. I'm dying. I am dying. I feel great. <laughs> you don't know how great I felt. I thought, I'm dying. I feel great. I wasn't worried about anything. I didn't have any fears, no doubts, no nothing about where I'm going to go when I die. Nothing. I felt great. And I'm dying. So they pull over the side of the road. And I have a, a normal, I mean, uh, I don't know if it's normal or not, my heart rate on the average Arresting heart rate's about 44, 45, something like that. And during the daytime, it's around 55. And sometimes it gets up into 60. I even went to the emergency room one time because it was pounding like it was coming out of my chest. It was, they said, you know, it's only 72. I said, well, but my heart rate average is pretty low. And so now it's dropping. And so they were concerned. They pulled me aside the, the road. I didn't die, just so that you know that. All I remember is, I don't remember nothing else. I wake up, and I'm in the emergency room, and I'm on this table. And they found out, you know, what had happened. I had taken two of those pills, and your heart is a muscle. And it was really resting my whole body. <laughs> but I think how close I came to leaving this world. Now, you know, that's not an exciting story that maybe you like to tell, but it's an experience, an experience where I almost died but I didn't. But I know that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. And God has been good enough to spare my life over and over and over again. And I tell you that uh, some of these things used to scare me to death. I was um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I decided I'm going to work on the bus routes. So as I work on the bus route, you have all kinds of experiences going to people's homes and going inside and talking to people. Some you lead to the Lord and you want to get their kids. But for some reason or other, Dr. Lee Robertson, who was the president of the Tennessee Temple at that time, he says, Yankee, here's somebody for you to go by and see. And I uh, don't know what the problem is, but they just want you to go by and see them. I said, yes, I will. So anyway, I got that, and there's a, like a little visitor card. So I, it was on my route, and so I was going to go by and see him. So when I got there, this guy the door and he was soused. I mean, he, he was plastered. You don't know, he was drunk. And um, he said, come on in. So I, in fear and trembling, went in. And I went on in there and he sat down at the table and so I sat down at the table. And he looked over at me and he says, what do you want? I thought, you're the one that wanted me to come. Oh. And he had a revolver sitting there on the table. And he picked it up and he had the shells. And he started putting the shells to the chamber. I says, um, what are you going to do? He says, well, when I get these in, I'm going to shoot you. So if you've got something to say, say it. Boy, I started talking. <laughs> I started talking and talking and talking. And he finally put the last one in. And I said something that kind of got his attention about something. So he opened it back up and started taking them out. So I was taking them out just to talking. So when he got through, he said, are you through? He said, no, 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 I got some other things I want to say. Okay, I started putting them back in. He did that about two or three times. And I thought, I need to get out of here. Because you don't ever know what this guy's going to do. So I, I didn't even try to lead him to the Lord, as I can recall. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. 
I just left because I wanted to get out of there. So when I got out, it was only a few days later, Dr. Lee Robertson called me in the office and says, you know that guy you went to see the other night? I said, yeah, I remember him. He says, in the hospital, I want you to come see him. I thought, well, he can't have a gun there. So I went to the hospital, and when I walked in there, he says, you remember me? I said, yeah, I remember you. I said, you don't have a gun, do you? He says, no. He smiled. He was sober now. And I led him to the Lord. But I thought to myself, you know, that could have been an ugly situation. One day I'm running a ranch meeting. And we have several hundred kids sitting there. And kids were asking questions. And as they asked these questions, I'd answer them as best I could from the Bible. And all of a sudden, this one kid asked, and he had real long hair. He says, um, what do you think about people that have long hair? And I'm looking right at him, and everybody can see him. He's sitting there, right in the middle, long hair. Now, I don't want to offend the kid. I don't want to hurt the kid, you know. I mean, long hair ain't going to make a difference whether you go to heaven or hell. It has nothing to do with it. But he asked me a question. I says, well, and I said, take your Bible and turn over here in Corinthians. And I said, see, the Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And then he says, well, how long is too long? I says, it ought not be the same as a woman's. God says it's good for a woman to have long hair. It's her glory and so on. So anyway, we kind of got off of that and on something else. I went home that night, went to bed. I'm laying there in bed and the phone rings. And this guy on the other end says, are you Yankee Arnold? Real mean and ugly. I said, yes, sir. Who is this? He says, you're Yankee Arnold? I said, yeah. He said, you run a youth group? I said, yes, sir. He says, my son was there tonight. He says, you mocked him and made fun of his long hair. I says, no, sir, I didn't. He says, all I know is this. When I see you, I'm going to kill you. He said, I'm going to kill you. Do you understand me? And he was mad. I said, yeah, I understand. So anyway, hung up. So the next morning, I got a hold of Joe Potter. He's a missionary down, down in Guyana, down in South America. I said, Joe. I said, yes, I said, I got to go visit somebody. You want to go with me? I said, sure. He says, where are we going? I said, we're going to see that, a guy that uh, called me up last night. Oh, okay. I thought, maybe I need to tell him. Because I don't, I don't want you know, him not to know what's to prepare for. Well, maybe I shouldn't have told him. After I told him, I shouldn't have told him, but I told him. So I told him what happened. He says, you're going to what? I said, we're going there. He says, we're not. He said, I said, we are. I says, if a guy's going to kill me, I'd rather just get it over with. I mean, I'm ready to go. Just get it over with. I don't like living with that suspense. So we got in the car, and we drove up to his house. And there was no front. You had to drive around to the downstairs. So I drove around downstairs and got out of my car and here comes his wife out the front, out, out the door. And she says, oh, preacher, preacher, get out of here. She says, my husband is looking for you now. She says, he has a gun and he's going to kill you. Well, I never died before. I thought, another experience. Oh. I says, well, can we come in and wait for him? I said, no. She didn't want nothing to do with it. She wanted me to leave. I says, ma'am. Do you have any coffee? I just love a cup of hot coffee, and I did. I don't know why. It just, it's never dawned on me that this could be my last day on earth. So anyway, we went and sat down. She fixed us some coffee. It wasn't long before 
this car come flying down, and I'm talking about he's sliding sideways. I mean, he's speeding into his own backyard there, and he's sliding sideways, and all of a sudden, the car's still rocking, the door's open up, and he slams it cut, and he's running to the door. And Joe Potter's standing there and says, Pastor, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> I'm just, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But he was worried about it. I was too, but I have to give the appearance, you know, that I'm calm. I'm not, like I'm not afraid. Some people, sometimes you're just numb. You don't know what to do. Anyway, he busted the door, and his wife jumped in front of him and tried to hold him back and says, and he's looking at me with fire in his eyes. I've never met this man before. I've never done anything to this guy. And his kid asked a question. I just answered the question. Now, when the kid goes home, who knows what they say? But it wasn't long before he finally calmed down a little bit. And I said, can I tell you what happened? And I had the Bible, and I showed him. I said, look at this verse. It says it's in the Bible. This is what it says. I said, but it has nothing to do with going to heaven or hell. Anyway, he kept on. They both trusted the Lord, and they wanted to start driving their flatbed for our hayride. And so it worked out for the good. But you, see, you can't have anything happen to you if you don't do something and take a stand for something. Now, I want you to take a, your Bible and look at this. Look there in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. Those are the introductory remarks to my message today. 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. I want you to see what he says in verse 16. He makes this statement in verse 16. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. Now, Lord, I, I want to say something, but it'll seem like I'm bragging. But I don't want to brag, but I just want to say something. Because there's some of the people there in Corinth that were, you know, because they were doing so much good. They were so holy. They were so right, but they were just carnally. That's all it was. They didn't see the truth. They were now putting Paul down and said, he's the one that led him to the Lord. But now, see, they're carly minded. And he says, now, let, let, me, let me tell you something. So he says there in verse 17, that which I speak, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, that which, what's that? You know what I said? Oh, that was a typographical error. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 11. But if you can find it in chapter 12, go ahead. <laughs> but in Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16, he said, I say again, let no man think of me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. In other words, you want to brag about what you're doing? Let me, let me brag a little bit. If you want to complain about all your suffering for Jesus' sake. I mean, you're just working so hard for the Lord. And you don't have, nobody has an idea what you go through. He says, you want to whine and pine a little bit? You want to moan and groan? You want to murmur a little bit? Let me tell you what suffering for Jesus is about. And then he, buddy, he lowers the boom. And uh, look in chapter 12 real quick. You'll notice what he says there in verse, oh, let me see there. In verse 11, he says, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. 
For I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostle, though I be nothing. So he says, I didn't want to say all these things, but you compel me. Now let me tell you something. And if you want to consider me bragging, okay, so be it. You know, sometimes I've had people say, Yankee, you ought not say you led somebody to the Lord. You ought to say, the Lord did it. Well, the Lord doesn't teach the Sunday school class, and the Lord didn't drive the bus, and the Lord didn't correct this, and the Lord didn't do that. The Lord uses people. So Paul says, I did this, and I did this. And the reason some Christians can't say, I did it, because they didn't. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, he makes this statement in verse 18, Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will also glory. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalts himself, if a man smites you on the face. Somebody walked up and smacked you on the face. Oh, you suffered so bad. He says, okay, let me tell you something of what happened to me. So he says in verse 24, he says, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. You want to compare your little smack on the face with what I went through? He Paul said, now I don't want to have to do this, but you've compelled me to do it. So he says, thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, and in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in this wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness, and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in the cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In other words, you want to compare? Paul said, you want to talk about how bad you've had it? Let, let me tell you something. Now, there's not a one of us in this room, in spite of all that we've gone through in our whole life, we'll never compare to what Paul went through. And in spite of everything, he, he would not quit serving God. He says, because in the same chapter, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, having therefore this ministry, we faint not means we don't quit. We can't quit because it is so important. And so the devil and all the people that were against him, and he says, and then the burden of all the churches. In other words, there was no let up. It was always constant, the pressure that was upon him. So he says here in verse 29, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? You, you get offended? Don't you think I ever get offended? You think I get burned mad? You think I don't want to strike back? Get even? But he never wronged anybody. He wouldn't wrong them. He would just allow people to defraud him, say what they wanted, do what they wanted. But you see, Paul refers to all these experiences. This goes back over his life. His whole life. It's not, see, your life is not made up of just one little moment today. When God says, I want you, he wants me to yield my life to him. He's not talking about just from this moment forward. He's talking about my whole life. God wants to use everything in my life that's usable. And you'd be surprised what God has taught you and the lessons that you've learned. How valuable you would be to the Lord if you'd let God use you. But you're the one that decides that. God does not force any of us to serve Him. 
He will not make anybody trust him as Savior. And he will not force any of us to serve him. But I've been around long enough that I have enjoyed my life. And I want to use whatever part of my life. Did you know that when I go to a rescue mission, and I have preached at the Pacific Garden Missions up there in Chicago, I've been there. It, they're unshackled. Anybody ever heard of unshackled on radio? It's on all over the world. And I've been there and I've preached. But you know what really softens it when I get a chance to talk to them? is my own personal testimony of where I came from. And that my daddy, yes, he was a, a bootlegger. And that the way I was raised, I would have thought at one time, God can't use none of that. But yes, he can. When I went to Bible college, we'd go down to the Miami Rescue Mission, and I'd get a chance to share what God's done for me. This is where I was. This is what God's brought me through. And I am so glad, I'm so thankful for all those experiences. I wouldn't want to repeat some of them, but I'm thankful for every one of them. You'll begin to enjoy your life when you can begin to be thankful for your life. Not all your bad decisions, but did you know that God is able to use your failures? Because there's people that are now existing with pressures and problems and they feel like a failure and that God can't use them because I've messed up here and there. And you'd be surprised what God has taught you that you could say, look, I know God can use you because God can use me. And you may be facing this, but this is what God did to me. And I'm not talking about promoting and glamorizing sins and wickedness and things like that. I'm talking about there are experiences in your life where you've had close calls, or you've lost a loved one, or you've had bad health, or financial difficulty. Who knows what God has put you in situations that God can be able to use you greater than you would have ever dreamed. That's what makes you more valuable, because you can relate to more people, because of all the things that God's done for you and what He's brought you through. He goes down here and he says this, in verse 30, he says, If I must need glory, I will glory of the thing which concern mine infirmities, my weaknesses, my failures. And he says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, now he goes all the way back to the day he trusted Christ as Savior, and he was going to serve the Lord, and he went, and lo and behold, they had to let him down over the, the wall in a basket so he could escape because there were people that wanted to kill him. So, so it wasn't just Paul at this moment. It was Paul's life that he wanted to use for the Lord. You see, you may have already messed up a thousand times. Did you know that God has taught you some things that other people need to learn from? If God had to wait till he found the perfect person, how long will he have to wait? See, there is nobody like that. All of us are sinners. Sinners. And after you trust Christ as Savior, you still sin. But can God use oh sinners? Sinners saved by grace. That's all we are. And you study some of the Old Testament saints and you'll find out, buddy, God had, in some cases, some mighty poor people to use. But he used them. And he says here in verse 32, In Damascus the governor under Aretas 
The king kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me, with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. And that's in the book of Acts in chapter 9. So you see, when he's going to try to bring out one point, he goes all the way back to the time when he was born and look who he was and what tribe and all that. But then when he talks in the book of Galatians, when he wants to talk about the law, he refers to what he did under the law. And then when he wants to talk to these Corinthians about facing problems and what they've gone through and how they've suffered, then he, he got all this here that he can talk about. So he can do this in every book and every one of them, but there's parts of your life that are so important. It's what God's brought you through. That's why in 1 Timothy in chapter 1, he says that I am an example of someone that would believe. Because if God can save him, then God can save anybody. And if God can use him, then God can use anybody. So can God use you? Think about it for a moment. If you understand what I'm talking about, can God use you? Do you have a story to tell? What has God done for you? Well, so far, nothing. I told people this. I says, if you put your life in the hands of God, it won't be long before you'll see God's hand in your life. And you'll be able to see how God has worked in all areas of your life. And you'll become richer for it. And then you don't have to walk around feeling like, man, I've already lived so many years and I never did anything for the Lord. And you begin to realize, boy, I've got a, a lot of things that God can use. God has taught me a lot because I've, I've suffered a lot. And some of these things I've gone through is because of my own bad decisions. I made bad decisions. Did you know that God can use those bad decisions as lessons for somebody else so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel or fall into the same mud hole that you fell into? Wouldn't you like God to use you to keep somebody else from making the same decisions that you did that ruined your life, that could ruin their life? See, if I had a big old diamond up here and it fell off, and I picked it up, it may not be as big as it used to be, but it's still diamond. Not as glorious as you, but it's still diamond. And maybe there's a lot of things like you've ruined your life, but God can still use you. You and I are supposed to believe that, and that God will use us. Let me give you this before I close. Look there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and look in verse 9. Verse 9. He says in verse 9, For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels and to men. A spectacle. Verse 10, we are fools. We are fools. But don't end right there. We're fools for Christ's sake. I would rather be a fool for Christ's sake. Whose fool are you? If you're going to be a fool, whose fool would you rather be? I'll be a fool for Christ. Because in the eyes of the world, I may look like I'm a fool. For what I've done and the way I've lived and the things that I don't do, places I don't go and the language I don't use and all those things. Ah, oh, Yankee, he's just a fool. Yeah. But when I get to heaven, 
I don't think I'm going to be a fool. Only in the eyes maybe of the world. Look what he says. He says in verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We are we. Oh, you're so strong. You're honorable and we're so despised. Even in this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. How many of you would like to be like the Apostle Paul? Look what he went through. So we don't even have a, a certain dwelling place. He didn't have a place he could call home. He was on the move. So where do you live at? Oh, I live in prison, cell number nine. He was in this prison and that prison and that prison. And yet one of the greatest men that's ever lived. Never has any of the conveniences that you and I enjoy today. Even in our rebellion. His greatest moments was not as like ours. So he says in verse 12, And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offspring of all things unto this day, unto this day, unto this day. So he said, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to tell you so that you understand. You ought to be convinced in your mind. God can use me. God can use me. And he wants to use my life. Don't concentrate just upon the few years you may have left. But God can use all of it. And you'd be surprised how much God can do in a short period of time. Because of what you've learned, if you've learned it. You realize how much more you can accomplish in a shorter period of time. The older we get, the wiser we're supposed to become. Hopefully that's true. Look up here. This hand representing you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God, He loves us. Now what I'm talking about right now has nothing to do with committing your life to how you're going to live and say and all those things, being used. First of all, you have to be born into God's family. But see, this is you and me. This is sin. We are sinners. And we're to be separated from God for all eternity in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect, none of us are righteous. We've all come short of God's perfection. And we cannot save ourselves. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us, hates what we do wrong, because our sin separates us from Him. So Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. He said, if we would believe, we would believe. He did it for us. He would put the payment he made to our account. We get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You can't buy it. It is a gift, totally free. See, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world because he loves us. And Christ paid for our sins, came back from the dead and says, will you believe that he did it for you? Isn't that so simple? When you believe this, this payment is put to your account. You don't have any sins to pay for. You ought to. I ought to. But I don't have to. Well, he died for my sins. So many people have heard this for years, all their life, but they never get it. He paid for my sins. Means I don't have to pay for them. You say, well, you don't deserve that. I know. That's why it's called grace. Grace is unmerited. You don't merit. You don't deserve it. It's because of how much God loves us. 
It's not how much we love him. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If what I said made some sense to you, maybe you don't understand all of it, but you know enough. You know that you're a sinner. You know you're not perfect. You've heard that Christ died on the cross. Well, friend, he did. And he died for you. He paid for your sins. Now, to go to heaven, you must believe he did it for you. You see, if you believe he died and paid for your sins, then you're not going to try to earn your way to heaven. Because you see, you can't earn it, and there's nothing to earn. You're already going, because it was free. So if you've never done so, would you do it right now? Would you say, preacher, that made sense to me, and I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die, and I will trust Jesus Christ right now as my Savior. And friend, if you'll do that, God said he would save and give eternal life. If you're making that decision, I'd like to know it. And I'd like to have prayer for you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you are, say, Preacher, I will trust Christ. Friend, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down. Say, anyone at all. Anyone at all. Just slip it up very quickly and say, yes, that made sense to me. And I will trust Christ right now as my Savior. Anyone at all before we close. I pray that all of you have trusted Christ as Savior. Did you know that when you decide as a child of God, I want to serve the Lord, God can use everything in your life. He can use it. You have to pick and choose the right time, the purpose, the person, but God can use you. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one. We ask your blessings upon the service tonight. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen.